This morning we're going to continue looking at the book of Philippians. So if you want to have a copy of the scriptures and you want to turn there, pull it up on your device. If not, we'll have it for you on the screen. As you're turning, kind of a, uh, a family moment for us as a church. I uh, just want to make sure that you have heard and are aware that we uh, welcome somebody into the family uh, this past week. Derek and Brooke Shank, uh, welcome to the world. Uh, their beautiful daughter, Rebecca Jane, and that is her. Thank goodness she looks like mama. And uh, <laughs> proudly tell Derek I said that. No, no hiddenness there. Uh, she was six pounds, nine ounces, and 19 inches, and that's from memory, so it's probably wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's right. All right, and uh, everybody is doing really well. I uh, got to see them this week, and uh, man, Derek, proud of him. He had changed all the diapers to that point. Uh, which I think there have only been two or three, so I don't know if he's still hitting consistently in that. But anyway, I uh, just wanted to make sure you're aware that there's a, a girl that we've prayed for. I know many of you have. I prayed that she would be healthy and whole and to get to look uh, at her this week in the flesh and go, God, that's an answer to prayer. Uh, it's an awesome thing. And so we want to make sure you knew that. Be sure to shoot them a text or whatever it is. Just congratulate them as you can. Okay? Uh, we are today continuing our sermon series for Sunday mornings that... We've entitled Happy, and we're looking at the book of Philippians, and we're seeing that God absolutely is way more concerned than we might often feel that he is with our happiness. Now, our happiness is not his main goal. His main goal is his glory, so he's not only concerned with our happiness, but he does care very much, and we're seeing in the book of Philippians that he shows us, Paul, the author, where we can find happiness in God and, and in the blessings of God, all these different places that there is happiness for us. Or he uses the word often, our word from this morning in Advent, joy, this intense, resilient happiness available to us in Jesus. That's what we're looking at this morning. And this morning we're going to see that Paul, the author, is going to give us kind of two really great examples of guys who found their happiness in Jesus as he was looking for people to help him fill a critical role. You know this. This is common sense kind of stuff that there are some roles in our lives that it just absolutely matters more who fills them. There are some things we don't really care that much about. Who, who's the one who handles this for me or that for me? There are some things we, we care a whole lot about. I'm guessing Derek and Brooke probably did some research on who was going to be the doctor to deliver their baby. I'm guessing they didn't just fly in and go, hey, whoever you got, right, we'll take the sub or the B team. Just put somebody in and let them play, coach. Right? They, they probably spent some time going, this matters to me. If you're having a home built, you probably spend some time thinking about who am I going to use to, to draw all of this out and, con, and consider every little detail and put it all together and make sure that it's sound and strong and everything that I'm paying for it to be and hoping for it to be. I, I was recently caught one day this past week as I walked past uh, the, the chest in, in our bedroom by a picture that's been in our bedroom, I guess as long as we've been married. It's kind of a two-frame picture frame. One is upright, one's to the side, and it's pictures of Jamie, my wife, with her bridesmaids, on the day of our wedding, and then me with the groomsmen, and I, I kind of thought and chuckled. It's interesting as I looked at these guys and thought about hadn't talked to either of those two in a long time, talked to them all the time. It's just interesting as you reflect back on that, and I, I thought about the difference between how women and men usually go about that. Uh, Jamie had, by the time we got engaged, she already had a list of reasons for each one of her girls that were going to be bridesmaids. This was the girl that sat with her and talked through this when it was really, really hard. And this is the girl that she grew up with, and they went on vacations together and all these nice things. So they've got to be in there. They've got to be the one. And for me, it was more like, so you're going to have six. So I need six. All right. So uh, I'm like, I don't know if I've talked to six guys 
in my life, but we'll see what we can do, right? I'm, I'm just going, let's pick six, right? I just need a number that matches. So we've got even numbers walking down the aisle. But for her, there's a lot of intentionality because to stand there on that day that she's dreamed about since she's a little girl, it matters. Who fills that role? We're going to see that it matters for Paul today who fills an important role in the work of God. And even bigger and more important than that, hopefully we're going to find a sense of appreciation and a sense of grand opportunity and honor in the fact that it matters for a holy God who are the ones who get to carry his name and he's chosen us. We left off last week in Philippians chapter 2, verse 18, and Paul was saying there that he was happy if his life was being poured out as a drink offering. Certainly he was happy if That even meant his death eventually, as it would. History would tell us that he was martyred for the sake of Christ. But he was talking there last week more so about his life being lived, even if it meant hardship for him, which it often did, even if it meant long enduring of imprisonment, as it does at the time that he wrote this letter. Paul was there in prison in Rome, and he had started this church previously through the preaching of the gospel we see in Acts 16 in a place called Philippi. And as he's imprisoned in Rome quite a ways away, the people there send him a gift and a letter to kind of let him know what's going on with them, update him on the life of the church. And and Paul, being imprisoned, he decides he's going to write him a letter back. And that's exactly what we're reading today is the letter that he wrote back to the church at Philippi. We're going to see him talk about some examples for us. We can learn from their lives. Two guys that would have been kind of top candidates to be the guys who would carry this letter for Paul. We're going to see that they're more than just potential delivery men, but that they are men of God. They're men that live out so much that we want to emulate. Let's start in verse 19, chapter 2. Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So we know if you think back to previous weeks from chapter 1, Paul's already told us that he's not really sure how it's going to turn out for him. He has this inclination, this idea that eventually he's going to be released from his imprisonment, but he doesn't have any kind of definitive leadership, definitive word from the Roman government or even more importantly, God. He doesn't know exactly how this situation is going to turn out for him. We see him saying in those last couple of verses that we read, 23 and 24, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm not quite sure how things are going to turn out with me here yet. And so I've got my protege here with me, Timothy, and, and I would like to send him to you soon, he said in verse 19. But he says, for now, I'm, I'm going to keep him with me until, at least until I know how things are going to turn out. Maybe until I'm released or we figure out what the, but we're at least going to know what's going to happen to me. And then I'd be ready to send Timothy to you. Now, why would Paul hope so much to send Timothy? He says, I hope to send him to you so that he might return back to me with some correspondence from you and be able to report back about his visit. And that, he said, would cheer me. That would bring me a lot of joy. Paul has sunk and invested so much of his heart and his life into these people. He goes, what happens with you matters to me. What happens with you 
shapes a lot of my experience, a lot of my happiness and joy is there with you, just like yours is with me as you're checking in with me and you're sending gifts to help. There is love in the Christian church. There's an interconnectedness. I'm just pause just to say, outside of your immediate family and the people who live in your house, outside of them, whose lives are you so intertwined with? Who have you so invested in loving and caring for in the name of Jesus? Who have you so stood next to as you both sought Jesus in faith and struggle and strain? Who have you had your heart leap for when they had a victory so much so that their life impacts yours and vice versa? That's the kind of love that we're seeing present between Paul and the church. He says, I hope soon to send Timothy to you. He's here with me while I'm in this time of imprisonment. I hope to send him to you soon so that he might come back and send me, bring me a report of you that would cheer my heart. Now, what is it about Timothy? Why would he pick Timothy? Verses 20 through 22, I believe, give us a few reasons. One is this, he says that there's no one else like Timothy who will who will stay focused and zoned in on the mission at hand, who will stay interested in what interests Jesus. He wants to be about what Jesus is about. He says, listen, there's no one else like him. Everybody else who's here with me would, would be prone to getting distracted and seeking their own interests. Now, throughout Scripture, Paul in numerous places talks about multiple people who worked alongside with him and trying to tell other people about Jesus. And no doubt, many of those finish life faithfully, but apparently at this point when he's in prison, he doesn't have anybody around him at least that he feels confident about other than these two guys we're talking about today. Maybe there are folks with him who started strong in the faith and deserted. You can read about some of those in 2 Timothy. Right? There's a guy named Figulus, if I'm saying that right, and Hermeneus, who they, they started with Paul and they served, but then at some point they walked away. There's a guy named Demas in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. He says he's got so entwined with the love of the world that he got distracted and he deserted what God was doing. Paul says, listen, these folks that are here with me, they don't have this, this focus. They don't have this drive that I'm certain that they're going to stay zoned in with you. But Timothy will. Timothy cares about what Jesus cares about. And that's why he says, make sure you caught this, he has sincere or genuine concern on your behalf for you. What he's saying is, Timothy truly, obviously, deeply cares about we can tell the difference, can't we? When somebody's doing something for us or serving us because it's kind of what's expected, what they're supposed to do, as opposed to when somebody's doing something for us because it's what they want to do. Can you tell the difference? I'm a big hot wing eater. I was sharing that with somebody last night. We were hanging out with some friends. I like hot wings. I always have. I've had to slow down a little bit for figure reasons, for heartburn reasons. Getting older is not a joyful journey sometimes, okay, in that regard. I've had to slow down, but back in the day, there were four or five of my best friends. We went to a place in Alabama. There's a chain called Baumhauer's Wings, named after Bob Baumhauer. He played for the Crimson Tide, Roll Tide, and he also played for the Miami Dolphins, and he also tends to make the best hot wings on the face of the planet. So we would go there three, four, sometimes five days a week. I don't know where I got all this money from, right? If my dad listens to this, thank you, Dad. I'm sorry that you're broke now because I ate wings. But we would go there so often, and I would get like two pounds of wings just for me and then a large plate of cheese fries just for me, and they would all get that. There would just be plates all over the place. It's like, what is going on in here? We would go there all the time, and there was a waitress there who started to get to know us and recognize she befriended us a little bit, and it was stinking awesome. Now, I'm thinking about it in retrospect. It's probably because she knew we'd tip her, I guess. 
But, but what it seemed like to us was she just really liked us a lot. And so there were times we'd walk into this crowded restaurant and they would say the wait is 45 minutes. And we'd say, okay. And we'd stand back in the same corner that we always stood in. And she would walk through at some point on our way to another table. And we'd just give her a little whistle. And she'd look over and see us and she'd be like, okay. And she would just take us to a table. <laughs> the next table she had, she'd just take us right there. And she, we'd laugh with her and cut up with her. And she'd give us everything as quickly as she could. We'd tip her well. She wanted to serve us. Contrast that with the day I, I went to eat wings with my buddy Matt at a different wings place. And this is back in the days when I was eating them 2X hot. So they were pretty spicy. It was important for you to have some beverage, okay? I'm just telling you, if you're looking for small little places that can test my, my joy in Jesus, it would be when the waiter is not keeping my glass full. I'm, just, I'm not saying that it's good. I'm just saying that it's true. We were eating these hot wings, Matt and I, together, and we start to look for our waitress. She had been kind of less than excited about waiting on us to begin with, and we weren't seeing her in quite a while. And it turned out, and I'm not recommending that you do this. I don't know that this was very Christ-like. I wouldn't do it again, but there's still a little humor in it for me, okay? What we decided to do as, as immature college guys was that to let her know that we needed a drink, we were going to set our empty cups on the side of the table. And because we had managed to eat almost all of our wings without anything to drink, we were going to spell out refill please with an arrow in bones. And that's precisely what we did. Okay, And so it says, refill, please, with an arrow. And I'll never forget the manager of the place. He's doing his rounds like, everything good for you? Everything going well? He comes to our table, and he's like, is everything going well? And he looks down, and he's like, okay, I'll have somebody right back here. I'm so sorry. That waitress, who knows where she is, right? And who knows what she's up to? Her heart wasn't in serving us, and you can tell a massive difference. You can tell when somebody really genuinely, sincerely cares and when somebody's just kind of fulfilling what they feel obligated to. It's the difference between the customer service rep you talk to on the phone and you can tell they're just trying to get off the phone with you. They're not doing everything they can do. They're just doing the least they can do. They're ready to get off the phone with you. Contrast that with if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, what is going on with those people, those angels of God, those servants of the Most High? They care about you. I'm, I'm convinced that if you were not in the drive-thru, but maybe sitting in, they would probably help you work through some things in life. You'd be like, I've got an aunt. She's got a growth. We don't know what to do about it. What do you think? They'd call up a doctor. They would do anything they could do for you. They're going to help you out, and you would feel so moved that you would say, thank you. And you already know what they would say. They would say, my pleasure. <laughs> right? They want to serve. I don't know how they get them to want to, but it, it seems they either really, really do or they're just acting really, really well. It seems like they really want me to come there. They're out in the drive-thru waiting on me with orders, things like they want to be. I'm, I'm going to be surprised if, if they're not just out in the middle of the highway going, like, come on in, we got the lane blocked for you. Bring chicken nuggets, come on. Like they want to help. <laughs> Paul says, listen, I, I would lift up this guy named Timothy to you and I would mention him and he would be the guy that I would want to send as kind of my messenger and, and a guy who could check in on you. Why? Because he has been so changed by Jesus that he has a deep and abiding and unmissable, unmistakable care for you. Paul says he, he serves with me not just as a student with a teacher, though they kind of had that relationship. He doesn't say he serves with me as an excellent protege to a mentor. No, it's more personal than that. He says, listen, he serves with me as a son with a father, humbly, obediently, full-heartedly, we're connected. We love each other. And he says we serve not just to meet needs. We serve not just to deliver food to the foodless. He says we serve in the gospel. This story 
that Paul's risking his life for again and again, that there's a guy named Jesus who was sent by his dad who happens to be the almighty God of the universe. And this Jesus came to bring hope to the hopeless, to take people whose sin made them unacceptable to God the Father. And if they would just trust in what the Son Jesus has done, all of a sudden those same people are accepted by God the Father willingly, gladly, with open arms. This gospel message, he says, Timothy serves with me in that message. That's what it's about. And that's the message that Timothy has heard that has changed his heart to the point that he is just wanting to serve you. He has genuine concern for you. The question for us today is, are we people whose lives are marked by genuine concern for others? By unmissable, unmistakable, I care. I'm thinking about you when you don't even Know that I'm thinking about you. I'm trying to consider how this will affect you when you're not considered about it or worried about it. I'm, I'm trying to serve you in ways that you haven't even thought of yet because I have deep Jesus-driven care and concern for you. Is that us today, Dublin Bible Church? Is that us, every person here who would call yourself a follower of Jesus? Understand this. We're truly happy to serve others when we trust Jesus' happiness in serving us. When I truly trust that Jesus is happy about serving me, then that spins my heart outward to be truly happy serving other people. And not just that Jesus served me on a cross thousands of years ago, but that Jesus continually serves me regularly. He is unwaveringly, unshakably standing as my substitute before God. It's constantly his righteousness that makes me acceptable to the Father. Even on my best day, it's not me lifting up my life and going, God, is this good enough? Because the answer apart from Jesus would be no. It's Jesus constantly being there. Constantly pleading his case on our behalf, constantly caring for us, watching over us, listening to our hearts as we cry out to him. And when we understand that the humble king of the universe would serve us with a heart full of happiness, then we're able to start trusting and believing that if we would turn our lives outward, if we would turn our focus and attention on on willingly, gladly, genuinely serving others, If we would wake up in the morning and go, hey, here's what I'm concerned with, but first, God, who are the people in my life? How do I need to be serving? If we would wake up thinking of ourselves not as the people at the table being served, but the ones who are doing the serving. If that would be our heart and mentality, we can trust that God will bring us great happiness. But just like every other offer and avenue of happiness that we've talked about, we won't know it until we start to, by faith, step into it. We can find happiness in serving others as we trust that Jesus is happy to serve us. Listen, I'm prone to feeling like when I come to God that I'm bothering him. I'm prone to feeling like when I come to God and I'm talking to him about something I've already talked to him about or I'm asking him again, or I'm I'm struggling again with a thought or an attitude that I don't like again, I'm, I'm prone to feeling like he's annoyed with me. That's not the heart of Jesus. That's not him. Doesn't matter how many times you've tripped, he still wants to lift you up. Jesus is happy to serve you in the truest areas of your need. And once we really grasp that, we'll have a heart like that. Paul says Timothy has. He is genuinely concerned for you because he is genuinely seeking the interest, not of his self, but of Jesus. Timothy got a lot of great things going for him. 
Timothy, though, not going to be the guy who's going to deliver the letter. Paul says, I'm going to keep him around with me until we find out what's going on with me. We're going to hear about the other guy next. He's going to have some similar characteristics to Timothy, but also some different experiences. It says this, verse 25. It says, I've thought it necessary. I think that word necessary is really interesting. So I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all. He has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Did you see our word there, rejoice? Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What do we see in the life of Epaphroditus? We know from chapter 4, I believe it's verse 18, that he was a guy who stepped in and was willing, but was also trusted by the church at Philippi to be the messenger to bring not just an update to Paul, but to bring these gifts to Paul, these resources that were going to help him in his ministry. He was the guy that the whole church could agree upon and say, we can go for that and trust him to be the one that's going to make this at least 700-mile journey, not in a Camry, but on a camel. We're going to send him that far, and we're going to trust him to actually get there. We're going to trust him not to stop at the pawn shop on the way and go, hey, he's not going to know if I brought all the gifts or not and pocket a little something for himself. We trust this guy. The church entrusted him to bring the original letter to Paul. Paul says he's your messenger and he's your minister. He's ministering to me. That's his relationship with the church at Philippi. But what is Epaphroditus' relationship? What's his role with Paul? Paul uses a few terms. He says, he's my brother, a bond that cannot be broken. You can say someone's dead to you. You can choose not to have anything to do with them, but you can't change the truth that someone happens to be your brother. He says, I'm tied to this guy intimately. We have hearts that are together. He says, he's my fellow worker. If you've ever lifted a really hard, heavy something together with somebody else, you know the bond that's forged when you've labored together and you get to the end of a long day and look at each other like, man, I'm worn out. You're worn out. We couldn't have done this without each other. He says, he's my fellow worker. And then he uses what's probably my favorite. He says, he's a fellow soldier. We get this, right? At least macho guys who like to watch war movies and think we're tough like them even though we're not. Right? Soldiers, they're prepared. They have all the instruction they need. They've prepared their bodies. They're, they're disciplined. They're ready, they're ready. And then they're brave enough to step in. And, and Paul says, listen, he, he's not just some old soldier. He's not just Gomer Powell, right? He's, he's like me. He's a fellow soldier. Paul would probably, we would say, a Green Beret in the Christian mission. He's the dude. And Paul goes, he's a fellow soldier with me. This is who Epaphroditus is. We see at least a couple of things in these verses from him that we can emulate. One is his thoughtfulness. The other is his courage. You read in these verses, I hope you, you heard it, you can go back and look over them, but the story is this, that once Epaphroditus had left Philippi to go to Rome and see Paul and deliver these gifts to Paul, 
apparently somebody, a traveler, had made their way from Rome and made their way past Philippi later on, and they had let the church know that Epaphroditus, their messenger, the guy they had selected to sin, had become very sick, very ill, it says, nearly to death. He almost died. We don't know how he became sick, but he almost died, Paul says, for this work, this service in the gospel. And so Epaphroditus somehow, maybe the same traveler comes back, we don't know, but it becomes known to him that the church in Philippi is distressed. They are absolutely concerned and worried to death about this brother that they love. And this strong warrior in heart, this kind of spiritual Rambo kind of fellow soldier guy, it doesn't say that he goes, oh, good, they're worried about me because I'm important. He doesn't go, oh, they're a little worried, but they'll be fine. It says, no, he became incredibly distressed himself, worried about them because they were worrying about him. <laughs> Church at Philippi's really distressed, worried about how Epaphroditus is doing. Epaphroditus finds out about it because he's a little bit better now. He's on the mend, and he goes, I'm incredibly distressed because they're incredibly distressed for me. And Paul says, listen, I'm sending him to you because he can be trusted. I've told you about his character, but I'm also sending him because it'll be a mercy to him to not have to worry about you being worried about him. But Paul even took it a step further. He said, listen, it'll also be a mercy to me. If mercy is authoritative with moving or withholding of punishment, Paul's saying, I think, listen, this worry, this concern, this fear out of love for each other, it's a heavy burden. It almost feels like a punishment. If you get to see him again and see that he's doing well, that'll remove his burden and that'll remove my burden because I'm Paul and I'm distressed about Epaphroditus who's distressed because he knows that you're distressed about him. That's a whole lot of church care. <laughs> Have a good time with that. Do we love each other that way? If you were to hear that your pastor on Friday ran over uh, a fire hydrant and knocked it out of the ground and you were just like, he had an accident, would you immediately be like, is he okay? Would that happen for you? That's a true story. Yeah, I don't, it just came to mind. I'm sorry. It's, it's wearing me out right now. May the Lord have mercy and remove this burden upon me because it's, it's bothering me. Anyway, if you heard about something going on in each other's lives, do you go, man, I care. I'm there. See, the warrior's heart is also a thoughtful heart. The one who's strong to serve is also sensitive to care. Epaphroditus is living that out, but what I want us to see even more than that is that he's courageous. Epaphroditus is the one who stands up and raises his hand and goes, I'll go. He goes, 700 miles. Not in a Camry, on a camel. 700 miles. There's not going to be Siri to let you know when you're going the wrong direction. There's not going to be anywhere to plug the phone in so that you can call if you get concerned. There's no doors to lock if some suspect characters show up. This can be a hard journey. Who's going to do this for us in Epaphroditus? Because I will. I volunteer as tribute. I'm your huckleberry, right? He's willing, he's ready to risk even his very life if that's what it takes for the mission of Jesus. And do you see what results from that? What results from that is Paul saying, it's because of this that I love this guy so dearly and I know that you're going to receive him with such joy is one of the things that Paul says. Rejoice when you see him. You're going to be joyful and honor him. See, we, we gladly recognize those who show courage, don't we? We have holidays specifically to remember and recognize, and rightly we should, those who've shown courage. My group of guys that, that we would go eat wings together. <laughs> One of them is a guy named Clay. I may have mentioned him before. He's the golden child. I don't know if you 
have somebody like that in your life. He's just the best at anything he's ever done in his entire life. Even if he's never tried it before and you've been working on it for years, he's better than you at it. He's not trying to be. He's not trying to be like prideful or chauvinistic. He just is. It's just in his pinky finger. He's got more talent at life than you do in your whole body. That's clay, okay? And I remember being uh, eating wings one night. We're sitting around the table, and the waitress had come in. This is in college, and so she's come out to him, and this is at a moment where we're all kind of talk tough to each other about, yeah, I'm going to take her out. Take her. We, we like to talk big about what we're going to do in terms of the dating life. In reality, we're all scared to death to approach a female, okay? That's, that's the reality that nobody ever tells you about. That's us except for Clay. And we're sitting at the table. He and the waitress have kind of had a little interaction going on. She's been smiling at him. He's been talking to her a little bit. He's been complimenting her. And she comes to the table with our check. And I'll never forget, in front of all these guys, unscripted, unplanned, hadn't told us anything about it, she brings the check and she lays it down in front of him. And he says, oh, oh, one thing, one thing. She says, okay. And he says, see on the, the ticket here, it says, Jennifer, is that your name? She said, yeah, my name's Jennifer. And he said, well, there's, there's only one thing wrong with my ticket. And she's like, okay, what, what can I do for you? And he said, doesn't have your phone number on it. Could you take it back there and jot it down for me real quick? Man, that's a dude, right? I'm like, man, you got some, like with other guys, you're, you're trying to position yourself and jockey to be a little bit higher than they are and be like, well, I did this. You wouldn't do it. With Clay, it's like, I know Clay. I don't even try to compete with him. I'm just glad to say I know this guy, right? This guy is awesome. I don't have any problem going, I wouldn't do that, but you're amazing. Now, just as a brief side note, what the waitress said back was, I don't think my boyfriend would like that very much. And the table full of guys all went, boom, <laughs> right in front of <laughs> That's just for fun and that's extra. <laughs> but we gladly recognize those who show courage. I think what we see multiple places in Scripture, but what we see here is this, is that happy honor follows Christ-like courage. What does he say? He says, rejoice and be joyful to have this man with you. There's gladness and happiness. And I want you to be glad in his coming and be glad to show him some honor. When we talk about honor at our house, we break it down real simple and say to honor somebody or something is to treat it like it's special. He says, listen, when you show Christ-like courage, it's God honoring that there would be happy honor for you in your life. Think about this. Think about how Jesus has given his life for you. Think about how Jesus still has you on his mind all the time, caring about you more than you care about yourself. Think about how Jesus has shown courage. I've been reading through the end of the Gospel of Matthew in my personal devotional life lately, and I'm seeing Jesus. I'm seeing religious leaders look at him on the cross and go, come down off the cross and then we'll believe in you. And I'm like, man... Better be glad I'm not Jesus, because I would have come down off the cross and backslapped those boys right in the face. Right? Believe me now, I didn't say I'm perfect. I'm just being honest with y'all, okay? Jesus just hangs there. He stays there. He cries out to the Father, why have you forsaken me? The anguish, the turmoil of this perfect, eternal connection between Father and Son, and for a moment so that we would never have to be forsaken who trust in Him. He is forsaken. He's going, God, where are you? That's in addition to the pain that He took and the way His body was literally ripped and nerves exposed and things we don't even want to think about. Jesus has done that for us. Are we happy to honor Him? Do we honor Him because it's culturally expected or maybe family pressure 
because we know it's the right thing, quote unquote, or do we honor Jesus? Do we treat him like he's special because he is? He has shown sacrificial courage. Does Jesus get the best of our lives? Does he get your best energy? Does he get your best thoughts? Does he get the best? I'm, I'm really honest with you. I don't know that he always gets my best. Sometimes college football coaching carousel rumors get my best. I don't know why. I'm not getting a raise as a pastor if this guy gets a job as a coach. I'm not connected to it at all. But he gets my best instead of King Jesus of the universe. If happy honor follows Christ-like courage, then Jesus would be first. How do we honor him? Can we trust that if we would pour our hearts and our lives into honoring Jesus, we would probably find a happiness that's overwhelming? That's overriding, as you heard Austin say on the screen today. Right? There was hardship, but there was also joy. How do we honor Jesus? How do we honor others? Do we look for the ways that we can help somebody else know you matter? I honor you because I see your life for the glory of God and it matters. Are we looking for ways to say that to people? I know we're kind to people. I know that we're people who say hello and, hey, just checking on you. hope you guys are good. And that's good too. But are we going beyond that to go, hey, I see your faith and I see you pressing on in faith when it's not, and I honor you. Hey, I... I bought you this cup of coffee. I'm sending it to you from my phone just to let you know it's a silly way, but I just, man, you're awesome. You're doing it. You're living it for Jesus. Hey, I showed up at your house and I'm here to do this for you. This thing that I realized probably needed to be done around here that you said you were not looking forward to doing. I'm here to do it because you serve so radically in the life of us as a church that I want to serve you. I don't know. I'm not telling you to go do either one of those things, okay? Ice caramel macchiato if you're going through though, right? <laughs> I'm not asking, but it did just hit me. Like, don't send me something with some peppermint in it or something. No, sir. Right? I'm not telling you how, but I'm saying, do we intentionally honor each other when we see other people striving courageously in their faith? Lastly, can I just encourage you with this? As we consider these two models of faith, as we consider how thoughtful they are, how Jesus-centered they are, we go, Jesus, I want to be like that. Can I just encourage you with this as we land? It almost feels so weird to say, but it's so richly true that Jesus is happy to honor you. That the king of the world honors you, treats you like you're special, has you seated with him in the heavenly places. With God, that's what the scriptures say, that one day he will look you in your eyes and say, well done. Why would Jesus ever need to look at me and compliment anything. And yet he's going to look at me not from need, but because he wants to. And he's going to say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant, knowing that I hadn't always done it well, knowing that I hadn't always been faithful. God gives us his word in which he tells us to honor those who are worthy of honor because it flows from his heart. Do you believe it, church? Not that he makes you the center of the universe, but that he acknowledges you and treats you as if you're special. Happy honor follows Christ-like courage, but we've got to step into Christ-like courage. When we step into it, we're putting ourselves in a place to experience happiness and joy in Jesus like we haven't had before. Know that Jesus is happy to honor you when you live for his name. What do we do with this word today?
Is there somebody that God is placing on your heart right now? You're going, man, I, I need to serve that person. I need to serve them. Can I say this briefly? Please don't send me any coffee. I'm going to feel bad now that I said that. Don't send me coffee. Is God placing somebody in your heart, though, that you can go, man, I can, I can serve them sacrificially. I can serve them courageously. Even though it'll feel scary to me to step in and do it, I'm going to do it anyway. Even though I don't know how it turns out, if I just pull up at somebody's house and try to bless them in this way, I'm going to do it anyway. And who might God use you and their story and their lives to show himself? Who can you encourage and bless and honor and show concern for, maybe even in this same faith family? How do we respond to God's word today? If you're here and you don't know Jesus in such a way that it would make any sense to you that his life of loving sacrifice and his death would, would shape everything about your life. If you're going, I don't understand how, I mean, I know the story, I know the stuff, I was raised, but I don't know how that would matter. Can I just suggest to you as a friend that maybe, possibly, I don't know, possibly though, you don't truly know Jesus personally. And if that's you today, we are so glad that you're here. You're not the enemy. We're not going to make you stand in front of anybody and sing a song or anything. We just, if we can help in any way you think through that, we would love to. Come find me when, when we're done. I'm not going to pressure you or anything else. I just want to help because there's a Jesus. When you know him, it will change everything. I promise. It won't make everything easier. In fact, it may get harder, but you'll have him with you, and it will be all worth it. Followers of Jesus in this room, how do we respond to his word? I'm going to trust God's spirit to lead you. Let's pray. God, I just... I just confess to you with my, my faith family that I see you in my life. I feel you driving in my heart to want to serve other people and also so often my flesh is weak. I feel so tired, God. So often my attention is divided. It's easy for me to, to zone in on my own interests. God, would you work in us? I thank you for your grace, your patience, your kindness for us, that you love us perfectly even when we're there in that place of, of not moving forward for your name. I praise you for that, God. And I, I ask also, though, that you would move us forward because of that kindness, that that kindness from you would lead us to repentance, that we would be people who would step forward as prompted by your spirit, as instructed clearly by your word. We would step forward to serve each other, to encourage, to honor one another. That we would be people who would be happy to honor you, Jesus, happy to honor others who are helping us in our faith. That our great desire would be your great glory in the lives of others. Would you do that in our hearts? And God, I'm asking you, would you show us specifically if you have something for us to step into as individuals, would you show us, God? Make it clear to us. Thank you, Jesus, for your life. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your death, and I shout for joy eternally, thanking you for your resurrection. Thank you that you're alive now and that you listen, that you care. Lead us as we leave here. 
to gladly, sincerely live lives of worship. Start with me. I ask all this for your name, Jesus. Amen.